When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is this is a weekend where I had maybe a drink over the entire weekend, and I woke up today. Just between the Yankees losing streak, my my toddler being potty trained, it felt like a long hangover. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's, it's, today was kind of a day. But anyway, we got a special guest here, folks, for Bleacher Creatures episode 140 for a nice milestone episode here. Uh, as always, part of Elite Sports New York, XL Media, Crossing Broad, War Gaming, and as always, Rivercrest NYC. Our guest today, uh, you've heard him several times with the old regime, Max Greenfield. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me back. Yes, first time on with the new regime, and I'm happy to be here. Well, I welcome in the new regime, I guess. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, you're, you're out in Cali, right? Yes, I'm currently living in Santa Barbara, California, where uh, it never gets hotter than 85 and never gets colder than 68. So it's nice really, all so the time. So like, so like the heat wave didn't get you at all? I mean, warm for Santa Barbara is, generally speaking, anything above 80 in the sense of like there's a little bit of humidity that most Californians wouldn't expect. But as someone who lived in Arizona for a few years and then uh, someone yeah. who lived in Pennsylvania for a year, this is nothing. Like, there you go. Yeah, this is, this is so just perfect. The weather here is just perfect all the time. I cannot complain. And keep rubbing again. Keep rubbing. <laughs> I'm, I'm in so Philadelphia. Sorry. I'm in Philadelphia. So it's, yeah, we've been going through hell. Yeah, great. I'm, great. I'm in New York, an actual concrete jungle. It's going to be a hundred here tomorrow. And I have a one and a half year old. I don't want to hear from any of you. That's terrible. Nothing. Yeah, anyway. no, this is nothing. Anyway, <laughs> so we are recording this Monday night, folks, at 8.30 p.m., one hour and a half before the Yankees kick off three games against the Seattle Mariners at T-Mobile Park right now. It's no longer Safeco. Uh, five game, uh, five losses in a row, just coming off a very bad sweep of the Cardinals. And oddly enough, it's kind of like a bizarro version of last year's Yankees, where the hitting isn't the issue right now. It's the pitching. Uh, I like to consider myself and I'm always kind of learning about pitching on a regular basis. Uh, Alec, you are a college catcher. Max, you are a pitching coach. So I figured I would let uh, Alec, you're going to take the wheel here. Let's try to discuss what is ailing this Yankees rotation. Uh, well, I mean, so you had to figure that there was always going to be a little bit of a regression from the hot start that they had. So there, like that is not what surprises me. And to be completely honest, I feel like the starting rotation outside of a few bad starts hasn't been anything, you know, awful. It's the bullpen. It's the yeah. bullpen being unable to get that well, one 
he out with the starters uh, and and this applies to the bullpen as well because if there's one thing relievers are good for it's high walks and k's for nine mm -hmm. uh the walks have been up yeah and 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 I, I feel like maybe max that you could go into more detail about this but from my perspective and a sinker seems to be a very temperamental pitch so when you don't have a feel for it things tend to fall apart rather quickly so you know, we, we've seen Clay Holmes struggle a little bit. Um, we've seen Loisega be up and down for the entire year. They're predominantly sinker pitchers. So you just wonder how much of it is like, are they maybe too tired? Is there a mechanical flaw? And, and if it's just, hey, they don't have their sinker right now, they're just they're trying to get by with it. And unfortunately, it's, you know, ugly results. Yeah, I want to I want to start with the the, the bullpen and this rotation and everything in the last like 25 games, they're like nine and 16. And what I come down to is I think that's very misleading because in you, the Yankees make like a grand total of 10 different pitches, just, just like 10, they're probably 16 and nine. Mm -hmm. Like that's, and I think that's what's so frustrating about their play of the last few weeks is they're not getting outright boat raced by teams. Like teams are just crushing them all of a sudden. They're losing in very frustrating ways. Yeah, because like to use a phrase I, uh, I've used on the show before, specifically with how the Astros have played this year, uh, the Yankees are getting beaten, not necessarily beaten up on. Yes, that's true. I think that's very true. Because the Yankees run differential over like the last, over this five game losing streak is like minus seven, which means they're in every game. Yeah, they're 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 right there. They lost. They lost. I think almost four games in a row by one run. Yeah. So the, it it that's what's aggravating is. So you come back to how the bullpen's blowing it. Yes, Clay Holmes. I think is just tired. I I think he's just tired. He's thrown something like 80, 90 innings in the last calendar year, which is probably the most he's thrown in years, and he's right. feeling it. And it's not that the stuff is like deteriorating. The ball's still moving a lot. The velo is still there. He's just tired, so his command is down. Uh, I thought. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't mean to butt in, like, because I. I actually uh, surmise this or have, have my own theory on Holmes, because I 100. Yes, he's very tired. Like, there, there's no denying that. However, with how, because I, you remember when, right when Araldus Chapman was about to come off the injured list, Boone sent his press conference. Oh, we're going to use him in multiple roles. Like, we're, it's almost like his own bizarro version of closer by committee. Now that there, we're actually seeing that happen since uh, Chapman has sort of refound his fastball confidence, uh, I'm wondering if Clay Holmes just has his confidence around a little bit just because he doesn't know any given night what his role out of the pen is going to be. Maybe, the, given, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to speak to several people involved with the Yankees, and they've always said that Clay has always been very open and willing to do anything to help the team win. But maybe he did find some comfort in knowing that the ninth inning was always his for a few weeks, right? Maybe he yeah. found comfort in that, and maybe there is some an adjustment period. I think more so it's just than anything. First of all, you're, you're right, you know, Chapman coming back, finding his fastball. It's hilarious how whenever a Yankee pitcher at any, whether it be a starter or a reliever, figures it out, another pitcher starts to lose it, right? So Chapman yeah. figures it out, Holmes loses it. Yeah. Uh, Loisega starts to figure it out. Peralta gets a bit of a back issue. Then Peralta comes back and starts to figure it out. Loisega starts to go down again. And it's just this like teeter, you know, 
constant teetering with their relievers of trying to figure, you know, get everybody on the same page at, every, at all times. And, you know, Abreu was absolutely nails for a few weeks. Yeah. And I remember there were people like, well, why was he coming into the game immediately after Nestor, after Nestor to, you know, try and get out of that jam? And I was like, have you seen his numbers? Like, dude, striking out like 30% of hitters, walking only like five and has a 60% ground ball rate. Yeah, of course I want that guy in yeah. situations. I had no problem with him being in there. But now he's starting to teeter a little bit. And it's, and this is the, more as uh, Alec said, regression was inevitable. Oh, they yeah. had a sub three ERA as an entire pitching staff and over a full season, that's just not going to happen, especially in the AL East with how good that division is. I, th- I think the Dodgers pulled it off maybe once in the last, in the last, uh, they're current, they're currently doing it now, Yeah, which says to me, they're going to regress at some point. And remember the Dodgers lost the series, got swept by the pirates. Yeah. And lost the season series to them. So losing five in a row is definitely frustrating. And the pitching is a large part of that, but this is, it's just a long season. Like th- these things are going to happen. The, again, what I come back to is that the way they are losing is both good in the sense of like, they're in it all the time. And it's just a few minor mistakes. It's nothing like a, like last year, as you said, it was just the offense. It was so obvious that the offense was the problem yeah. and they could do nothing to generate offense. This year, the pitching, again, as I said, like go back nine to 10 pitches. And it, again, they're 16 to nine instead of nine and 16 yeah, over the last It's 25. one key moment that changes the game. Correct. If Clay Holmes, instead of, you know, walking Tyler O'Neill, gets a 2-2 pitch, you know, that strike three that was ruled a ball three, and if he gets that pitch to be strike three, he's out of the inning. And next thing you know, the Yankees are, you know, three outs away from winning the first game of the series. If, um, you know, just a few things go their way, things dramatically change. The thing that's most frustrating for me looking on an outside perspective is that the pitch calling in some of these moments is very confusing. And Kyle yeah. Higashioka is just not a good pitch caller. Like that that's his MO that he's been known to be not a good pitch caller. That's like his fatal flaw outside of his, you know, absolute uh, noodle bat, right. Is that he, he's not a great pitch caller. And Alec, I know you, I don't know if you called games in college or not, but you can, you know, speak to it. It's hard. First of all, it's very hard to call a game. Like yeah. people have no idea how much goes into it, but you are spending hours before starts thinking of every single possibility that you can. And it's mm-hmm. hard to do, but the problem is you, and the, this is where it gets frustrating is that you have to adjust on the fly mm-hmm. and that you have to realize what's working and what's not. And then, uh, I don't feel like the Yankees are adjusting on the fly very well to what's working and what's not. And I think Alec, you could probably speak to that better of like, you have to go talk to your pitcher. You have to understand what's going through their head. Yeah. I mean, um, so Josh has heard me tell this story, which actually has nothing to do with me, but like, you know, Mike Messina, I think once said that there were going to be 10 starts, you know, over a course of an entire season, he has 30 starts a year. There's going to be 10 starts where he has absolutely everything working. Then there's going to be 10 starts where he has nothing working. And then there's going to be the 10 starts where he's just going to have to figure it out as he goes along. Improvise. Improvise. You know, he went to, um, uh, to flash. Um, yeah. Uh, flash to, told me this story. This is great. Yeah. And, and he goes to flash, uh, as he's warming up in a, in a pen and he's like, flash, I'm throwing a splitter tonight. <laughs> and, and John Flaherty is like, Mike, you don't throw a splitter. 
<laughs> and then Moose is just like, well, today I am. And sure enough, he did. And I think he, I think he said he got through like six or seven innings with a pitch that he really never throws. Um, so yeah, when you're, when you're game planning, when you're prepping going into, into a start, you have to take all this information into account. What did, like, what did these, this group of batters do against you guys the last time you played them? Like in college, we didn't play guys like, you know, consistently a lot every year, but we did play them at least once every year. So you remember some like moments and you remember like the box scores and you, and you're like, okay, I remember what this guy did to us last year. We need to figure out a game plan to prevent that from happening this year. And that's usually a three-way conversation between myself, whoever's starting on the mound that day and our pitching coach and credit to our pitching coach. Like we had a really strong one who, who always, always two steps ahead and, you know, me and him, I would like to think we're always on the same page. Maybe sometimes the pitcher wasn't. Um, but, you know, when you're going into a start, you probably you, you hit a couple of like checkpoints throughout the course of the day where you have to figure out where your pitcher is at, at any given moment. Um, step one is probably when you're warming up and you're doing long toss and you're just seeing how the arms feeling, seeing how the ball is coming out of the hand. And then you have the warm up bullpen before he goes out to take the actual mound. Um, that usually happens with the backup catcher. Um, I remember there were some starts where the backup catcher would take care of that. I would just focus on getting my legs stretched and ready to go. Um, and then once the starting pitcher comes in, then we talk, okay, what's working? What's not working? What are you going to need? Like, what do you need to do to get past that, you know, hurdle? Um, and then you go out there, you're still gauging and analyzing the stuff that your pitcher has when he's warming up. And then you're going into the first batter and then the second batter and then the third batter. And then the first inning's over and you've got to review, okay, what, you know, what did you do successfully in that inning? What do we need to improve on? And how are we going to go moving forward? Um, I feel like I, I know what you mean, Max, when it's like I, sometimes my frustration or, or my criticism of play calling, maybe even with, you know, or, or with Higgy seems to be a stubbornness and trying to force the game plan to work when it clearly isn't. Absolutely. That's exactly what I wanted to say. It feels like the Yankees game plan for the last few weeks has just been, well, these pitches have worked in the past. So we just need to keep going to it. And I get it over the long run. That's probably true. Mm -hmm. Right. But on any given day, as we've just said, you might not have that pitch, right? Like you just might not have it. And when you have multiple good pitches, you need to go to them. You can try and find it in the middle of a game. And I'm sure that you've worked with pitchers and been like, all right, this is a good count and a good, you know, we have the opportunity to throw this pitch right now to see if he can figure it out right here in this count. Right. And there are times that you want to do that. And I, I give credit to Nestor Cortez because he went through a little rough patch for a few weeks and then he comes back from the all-star break and it looks like he's made an adjustment and he looks great again mm -hmm. and really good. And that's encouraging because that means that the Yankees are clearly aware of whatever, you know, the issues are for everybody, because if they could fix him, then they can fix everybody else. Right. But the problem is in game, you have to throw out all of that and just focus on what the pitcher is doing well in that game. And it can, and it can come and it can go very fast. You can have your slider for the first three innings. And then in the fourth, you can completely lose it. And mm -hmm. you have to be able to be like, make the adjustment quickly of like, Oh, I don't have my slider anymore. Right. Like I, it's just, it's just gone. Yeah. And the problem is, and I get it again, over the long run, you make these decisions and you think they will work out, but in the short run, in the moment, in that game, the pitcher and the catcher have to realize I don't have this pitch right now. 
and we're not in a position for me to try and figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm coming from in the sense of frustration. When I watch these games, I sit there and I say, why are they throwing that pitch? Like it's just not there today. Or it seems kind of weird to throw that pitch when the other pitch is working better than that one today. Um, uh, sorry to jump in there. One guy who I feel like is very susceptible, who's very susceptible to that kind of stubbornness is Garrett Cole. I think I, I, one too many times I've yeah. seen starts where his secondary stuff is not working and then combine that with lack of fastball command. And those are the games where he's getting shelled. Those are the games where he's given up six runs in the first inning. He's fall, he, you fall behind in counts, you get stuck in fastball situations. What's the hitter going to think, you know, for like changing the perspective, you know, yeah. As, as a, from a catcher to just being a hitter, my favorite moments were sitting up there knowing when a pitcher did not have his secondary pitches, whether that was he threw two or three breaking balls over the course of an at-bat or in a previous at-bat, and neither of them were competitive pitches. In the back of my mind, I'm completely eliminating those pitches as threats. If he throws a good pitch and he gets me out on it, tip of the cap, he found it, I wasn't expecting it. But when I, you know, when a pitcher buries three curveballs that weren't even close, well, I'm not worried about that pitch. Then I'm I just actually, punting the fastball. I actually saw something. I, I forget who tweeted it out um, about Garrett Cole that showed, on the whole, he's still pitching very well this year. He's got a negative run value in all his pitches, but it's significantly lower. And if you look at where he's leaving balls in the zone, it seems that he's keeping the ball down in the zone more, getting burned there, just because he's, apparently he's not getting as many high strike balls. Interesting. Yeah. I did. So the, I was about to say, I think Garrett Cole is a good example in the sense of he's, he runs into trouble in one inning. It's always one inning. Yep. It, it, it has been plaguing him for a few weeks now. And yes, overall, he is actually like outside of those one innings, he is pitching like he's one of the best pitchers on the planet, Yeah, which he is. He still is one of the best pitchers on the planet. It's just in that one inning. It just doesn't click. Something's wrong. And like to, like to, Alec to, is, to draw a comparison, it's not, it's kind of like some of the, like, we'll say between 06 and 2011, <clears throat> excuse me, when Justin Verlander was on the Tigers, he kind of ran into streaks like this every now and again. Yeah. Which, listen, great pitchers just, they have weird moments and weird and weird seasons. I fully expect Garrett Cole that he could go on a run where he gives up six runs for the rest of the year. Yeah. He's that good. Like he can definitely do it. And the adjustments, you see it. Like after Seattle, six runs in the first inning. Then he gave up two base runners over the next five. Yeah. And he struck out seven more guys. The stuff is there. It's not a matter of like the stuff isn't as good. No, the stuff is still good. It's just Alex Wright. He falls behind 2-0, 3-1. And he's like, I have no feel of my slider. I have no feel of my curveball, which he doesn't throw enough. I don't think he throws his curveball enough. Like if yeah, he doesn't have his slider, no. his curveball is good. Like it's a good pitch but he mainly uses it as a get me over just try and flip it in for a strike and hitters know that. So when they see it start high and start to loop, they know it's a curveball, mm -hmm. right? So he needs to throw it more for some swing and misses down in the zone just to change the hitters perception of what that pitch is. And he yeah. also, you know, he has a good changeup, like stuff wise, it grades out really well, but he doesn't have great command of it yet. He had great command of it for a bit, but it, I, it just comes and goes. So he keeps finding in these big innings, he's, he keeps finding himself down 2-0, down 2-1, or he gets into an 0-2 count and he's calling a high fastball outside. And it's like, why, why, 
why are we doing that? Like, I understand high fastball, two strikes inside on the you know inner part of the zone and it's up fine. Cause if it's a ball, whatever, they don't swing. If yeah. they do swing the likelihood that they get a good hit on it fairly low, they have to be, no, it's coming to get around on that pitch when it's coming in at 99 miles an hour, which is very hard to do. And if they do again, as Alex said, just tip your cap. Like you just got yeah. beat. Sometimes yeah. you do just get beat. Like mm-hmm. the, the, you, you are going to lose sometimes. But well, the that's why is- just to jump in. That's why I thought his reaction to when Vladdy touched him up for the three home run game or whatever, you know, he just kind of sat there. He's like, yeah, dude, like I made three good pitches and he hit three of them out. Like there's nothing you can do about that. That, that, that game. Cause I remember he hit, he hit a, one was like a low slider or something that he hit out to dead center. And it wasn't, I remember I was like, that's not an awful pitch. It could have been better, but it's not awful. Then the second one was a 99 inside fastball that he just turned on. That, and then so, he did it. Um, like, again, I, I spent the last two years being a hitting instructor. And immediately when I saw that, I, I got a video grab of it and I was telling students and, and, and my lessons, like, this is how you turn on an inside fastball. This is how you're quick with, oh, I love Laddie Jr. And I thought that swing, I, I wasn't even mad. I remember watching that game live. And I was just like, that's incredible. And yeah. what's crazy is the one, the second one off Cole wasn't even the most impressive of the night was the most impressive of the night was he took a 99 sinker from Loisega that was in and off the plate by like a good amount and just wrapped it down the left field line. And yeah. I was like, dude, how do you get this guy out? If yeah. he's doing that. And that again, when that happens, you tip your cap. Yeah. Right. You just say, you just say, whatever, a good hitter beat me. Yeah. Nobody. Yes. People will be mad. He gave up a home run, but after they calm down five minutes later, they'll re- realize, you know what? That was actually just some damn impressive hitting. <laughs> like, like that's just impressive. But Cole is so he get, he loses that command that we were talking about and he gets stubborn in the sense of like, I have to beat him with my fastball and he doesn't turn it up to the notch that he needs to. Do you think he maybe he's to- too focused on accumulating strikeouts? No, because I, I think his thought process is, you know, the you know, just get outs as best as he can. He just knows that he has strikeout stuff. It's not like he's uh, you know, working up giant pitch counts or something like that. Right. Like he gave up six runs and still worked six innings. Like yeah. he given up five runs and still working into the seventh. Yeah. Like it's not it's not that he's walking guys because he's not. He again, his strikeout minus walk rate is like the third best in baseball. He's yeah. doing everything right when they don't swing or when they don't hit the ball i should say it's just when they hit the ball they hit it really hard and really far and granted yes guys who throw hard generally speaking give up harder contact it's yeah. just the nature of the beast but the problem is they're just not missing his fastball when he runs into you know fastball hitting counts when it's 2-0 and 2-1 they know it's coming which means right. he either needs to be able to flip a change up in or flip a curveball in a little bit more consistently in those counts and just throw them off and hope he can get some swings and misses or just completely avoid those counts that altogether by just being able to flip a slider in for, you know, early in the count and flip those curveballs and changeups earlier in the count. Either way, he just needs to get the off speed in for strikes more and then he'll be fine. And all of it, honestly, I think he'll be fine. I think this is just oh, yeah. some, some weird variance with the home runs and everything like that. Is it concerning that, you know, your ace gives up a lot of home runs. Yes, because as I have said, it is my trademark. It is known. If you want to win, you hit home runs. Like that's just the truth. You need to hit home runs. And if you want to win in the postseason, you hit home runs, and then you don't give up home runs Mm -hmm. as a pitching staff. And that's where the Yankees pitching staff 
though in the Cardinals series, it was better. And it's, you know, outside of the Garrett Cole start, I think in the Seattle series, it was also a little bit better is that they're starting to cut down on the number of home runs they've been giving up. So I do have some faith there that they figure it out, but yeah, I mean, it is cause of concern that they're giving up so many home runs. You mentioned real quick. I wouldn't be surprised if Garrett Cole you know, went seven innings and struck out 10 in his next start. Like that's just, that's just how he is. Like he is uh, that good. Yeah. So, but go ahead, Josh. Uh, Max, you mentioned just sort of weird variants in all the starts. This is a weird variant I've noticed over the weekend. The American league as a whole right now is running particularly cold. Like the only team that has truly dominated their last 10 games is the Orioles seven and three. Other than that, you have one, two, three, three teams are six and four, a bunch in five and fives. Nobody in the AL has an active three-game winning streak right now. Yeah, it's the thing is the AL East is such a juggernaut, right? So the Blue Jays played the Twins, right? Yeah. That was a fun and good series and everything yeah. like that for both teams. And it was a you know tough series for both sides. The Orioles are on an absolute tear right now, and they're fun and good. I remember watching that team early in the season. I said, nah, this team's different. Like this, there's something about yep. these guys that they're they're tough. And that I, bullpen is disgusting. I went to a, a Yankees Orioles game early in the season. I think this was um one of the Trevino games. And the, the Orioles were hitting were hitting pretty hard. And I said to my friend who was at the game with me, this team isn't gonna make might not make the playoffs, but look at them right now. They see a strike up in the zone, they hit it hard. That, that's something to watch. Their, their line, Adley is slowly becoming that guy where I said, I remember when he came up, I said, if he's the guy in the lineup, that lineup is tough because mm-hmm. they have, they don't have like several, you know, the Yankees have Rizzo and Stanton and Judge and LeMayhew, right? They have, they have heavy duty hitters. And then for a while there, Hicks was, was getting it going and everything like that. And hopefully Sunday is a good sign. He's just been so streaky this year, but for, yeah. when his streaks are going good, Aaron Hicks is producing at a good rate. Um, and, you know, Donaldson, who knows, Glaber has been good for the most part this year. Right. But the Orioles like one through seven, it's not like they're great hitters, but they're not bad. Like right. they're tough outs. They're pesky hitters. Well, very. I'm, I'm looking at them right now and you know, their top four guys are hitting between 253 and 260. And then, like, you know, their number five hitter, you know, is hitting 247, and their number six hitter, Austin Hayes, is hitting 260. So it's like, yeah, I they think got, they can hit perfectly. They, they, they aren't, like, a great offensive team, but they're not a below-average offensive team. They're just a slightly above-average offensive team by having enough slightly above-average offensive hitters to where – you start to think like, man, navigating this lineup is not fun. Yeah. Like it's, what it's about just, Trey Mancini? It's still a tough lineup. It's a tough lineup. Like they're hard to pitch to. And so they're playing really well right now, but the rest of the AL is just starting to beat up on each other. First of all, yeah. the AL central is not that good. No. The White Sox are an incredible disappointment. Guardians are fine. Can, can we just I mean, say about the White Sox? Someone has to check on Tony LaRusso's health. I, I, I am legit worried about the man right now. He's fallen asleep in dugouts. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think he's all there anymore. Like he wow. can't. He really can't be. They're, if, if, if the White Sox are smart, they clean house entirely. In the Seriously. But I doubt that happens because it seems like Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't really care. But that's what they should do. Clean, clean house um, except for Joe McEwing. Give him the big chair and then let him pick his own yeah. guys. <laughs> 
and uh, Guardians are fine. And then in the AL West, it's the Mariners are a good team. Yeah, they, I, I will admit that they are fun. I think they have flaws. I like offensively speaking, I think they are a very flawed team. I think they are relatively speaking easy to pitch to. When J Rod's there, it's, it helps, like, because he's obviously fantastic. Oh, he's he's so a great young player. And he's just super, super fun. Um, but outside of that, like, Suarez is good. He's, he's, he's been good most of his career and everything like that. But yeah, the rest of the lineup's just kind of, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, I, can't, I can't think of who else is on that team. Like, I think it's JP Crawford. Like a yeah, they have, Adam Frazier's okay. JP Crawford's okay. Mitch Hanniger's been hurt most of the year, so that doesn't help. Mm. Like, uh, Kyle Lewis has not been what he was his rookie year. They're, they're just okay. And then obviously the Astros have, you know, Yordan and Bregman and Altuve. And well, well they've, they've been running into a bit of a wall too. They, they, they have. Just, they had their hands full. They had their hands full with the Red Sox. They had their hands full with the Guardians. We talked about this with Max Goodman on the last show. I was semi-critical of the Astros and the Yankees in one particular article I wrote recently. And this Mets fan is like for a while was obsessed with me over it. The Astros this year, like, yeah, they're a very good team, but they're they're sort of an almost too perfect free truth outcomes team because they're not, it's not like trash gate where they're uh, launching base hits left and right. This time they're waiting for that walk, just trying to draw that, like steal that one pitch and then go for the big swing. And they're, they're not as dynamic as they used to be, partly because Brantley has been out for a decent chunk of the year and he's kind of their instigator to give them that dynamic at the top of the lineup behind Altuve, right? You know, Altuve to Brantley to Bregman, to Jordan is sort of their thought process of what the way they want their lineup to be. And that makes sense because Altuve is a good contact guy and, you know, power, whereas Brantley is pretty much just the contact guy that they're looking to try and maybe get a first and third going for Bregman. And then Bregman's their on-base guy for their big, you know, big, big bat in Jordan. Yeah. But they're not even streaky this year. Yeah. It's they're they're just, they're ever so slightly a tick worse than they normally are, but they're still a great team. Just like oh, the Yankees yeah. are still a great team. Like yeah. they're this, this five game stretch where, and I understand people's frustrations of they, they were openly in the Seattle series, pretty clearly not trying a few times Yeah, with their lineups. They were, they were a little bit more like, let's just worry about getting healthy and that's fine. They have a huge lead in the right. division. You can afford to take those kind of chances, but not, now they've lost five in a row. Like and managing for the postseason, there's definitely some games where you're like, okay, here's our position, here's what we're gonna do, and like I don't want to say that you're taking some at bats off, taking games off, but there's definitely from a we fan, can drop this one, yeah. Like from a fan's perspective, it's not. It's like always been like, especially Alec and I have talked about this a bunch. It's not so much the result; it's the lack of urgency. And the Yankees haven't had a lack of urgency. We saw in yesterday's game, they were in that up until like the very end when Paul DeYoung suddenly had the series of his career. Yes, it's just, and that's fine. Like, again, the process at this point when you're pretty much know you're going to the postseason is, well, let's make sure that we're healthy, right? Yeah. Right, that's, that's the most important part. But now they've lost five in a row and you saw it in the last two, in the last few games of the Cardinals series, they were a little bit more serious, right? In the Seattle series, they threw out some lineups where it was like, all right, pretty clearly they're okay with losing these games, and who, which is and, fine. Yeah, and, and who would have thought Jordan Montgomery would have a revenge game? He was pretty typical Jordan Montgomery in that game. Yeah. He just got a lot of – first of all, the Cardinals' defense, I don't know what they do if they just like jinx hitters when they come into their park. 
but if you hit a ground ball, it's an out. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. It could be perfectly placed between first and second, and they'll still make it into an out. Oh, like, you, they just don't give up ground ball hits that much. Yeah. So like, oh, God. when you when you get a sinker ball pitcher who gets a decent amount of ground balls like Montgomery does, generally speaking, they're going to perform pretty well with St. Louis because they they just turn ground balls into outs. That's what they do. And for the most part, the Yankees have actually been really good at that this year. Their yeah. defense this year has been way, way better. So Josh Donaldson's having a gold glove season. Yeah, you could give Josh Donaldson the gold glove at third base. And I would probably be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. fine. Like yeah. you could you could make a reasonable argument for it. Which is good because he really needs to make up for the bat in some way. I, I um, think he, I think he's hitting hurt like with that shoulder button bothering him all year. He looks close though. Yeah, like the last he's few games, he looks he looks close. Um, Sometimes with Donaldson, I feel like it. I think he over he thinks himself out of at bats. I want to check his his baseball savant page because he he's still hitting the ball hard and everything. I but yeah, there's yeah. go ahead. You're you're absolutely right. I think there are moments where. Like you watch him work this great at bat where it's a two, two count after seven pitches or a three, two count after eight pitches. And then he just takes a fastball right down the middle. And you're like, dude, what the heck happened? Like, how did you get to that point? And that's been happening pretty much all year. And I think you, you have to wonder, like, are you just like looking for the walk at that point? And maybe that's what he's thinking of. Like, I just need to get on base. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be this big thumper. And it's like, dude, you, you are a big thumper. You've been a borderline Hall of Famer your whole career because you hit the ball hard and elevate a lot. Yeah. And it's, I, maybe he is getting in his own head. I mean, he has Jurassic ever since that incident earlier in the year. And, you know, he openly spoke about how much it was affecting his health, which I don't really feel bad for him for. Uh, so, so, you know, maybe he is in his own head. And, you know, Glaber, again, Sunday was encouraging because a lot of guys at the plate looked a lot better. You know, Glaber looked good. Hicks looked good. Donaldson looked good. Carpenter and Judge have been, I mean, just brilliant. Yeah. Right. Like, so it is what it is. And the Alec other thing, wanted Matt Carpenter long before the team actually signed him. You know, I had, I, had uh, I forget what, where, when it was dated, but, um, Ken Rosenthal wrote an article for The Athletic about, well, I think it was like back in February. Yeah. About the changes he was going through. About the changes. And and I was sitting there, I was kind of dissecting it and thinking, I was like, yeah, this makes total sense. If it were, like, if, if that's the actual reason, he can fix this. Sure enough. I mean, not to say I told you so, Josh, but. <laughs> yeah. It's impressive because I was talking about this with a friend. Watching his plate discipline with two strikes Mm-hmm. is incredible he doesn't yeah. if he gets to two two strikes you have to throw it in the zone he's yeah. not going to chase he, he probably yeah. chases with two strikes under 15 percent of the time he just knows that strike zone so well and yeah. he's just basically saying like you gotta throw me something and i'm gonna just rip it to right field like i'm not trying to go the other way i'm yeah. not even attempting to do anything i just want to hit the ball in the air to right field and that's my whole goal and that's yeah. smart he definitely yeah. had some opinions for Ed Hickox yesterday. What, God, what a bad umpiring game. That was, I mean, Insulting. the call to Marwin was one of the worst strikes yeah. calls I've, I've seen in recent years. It was so bad. And it, listen, they lost by three. And then, on, you know, a wonderful account, the umpire scorecards account. Really, really, if you aren't following it, you should. <laughs> because it, it, it does a really good job. 
It's yeah. perfectly fair, and it tells you exactly what they did. And it said that it favored the Cardinals by three runs yesterday. And listen, I'm not saying like, oh, the umpire rigged the game. But when the umpire makes enough of an impact to decide the, you know, to basically give the difference between the teams, that's bad. And as I said yesterday, he makes those calls. He messes up a, uh, a call at the plate. Yeah, that was bad. Right? Too. That was bad. And then nothing's going to happen. No, yeah, nothing's there, gonna there, happen. There's, there's no, no accountability. None. There's no repercussions. There's no accountability for it. He just goes out there and stinks, and then we'll get another job, you know, right behind the plate in a few days, and do it all over again. And it's that's the thing that's frustrating about that. Not that the game was bad. Yes, in the moment that he was really bad behind the plate. But you know yeah. what? Even guys like Pat Hoiberg have some rough days every now and again. It, it's it's yeah. part of it. It's just part. If you're not gonna have robo umps which I actually like the system where it's, you get challenges, you get like three challenges a game and that's the, how they'll incorporate robo umps. I like that because I still, I still actually enjoy the human element of umpires and, and pitch framing and everything like that. And I think for the most part, like we give umpires a hard time because of stuff like yesterday, but for the most part, they're better than they are bad. It's just when they're bad, they're really bad. Like yesterday. Yeah. You have, you have like, the usual suspects, the the culprits who do it all. I mean, like I went from watching that the Yankee game to the Mets game, and CB Buckner was yeah, Buckner's equally, horrible. Yeah, equally. He's, he's been in the league for twenty seven years. And the, SNY was having a field day with him. I mean, <laughs> you know, Gary Keith and uh, and Ron were just sitting yeah. there laughing about it. Even when like Degrom got calls his way, they were like, "Man, this is just ridiculous." I give I give the Mets booth credit. They're always like when the Mets pitchers get calls, they're always like, that was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to admit, I think SNY is probably the best broadcast. Gary Keith and Ron are the best booth in baseball. Yeah. I'm like, did Not, you see when, uh, when Alonzo got buzzed up and in a few nights ago? <laughs> the camera panned to Buck and the screen went red and they're playing that, uh, the, the song I, from. I did Bill. see it. They're, they have a good broadcast. Don Don Orsillo and uh, what's his face in San Diego. They're good too. The, the California teams, I'm very spoiled in California. All the yeah. California teams outside of the Anaheim ones kind of meh, but every other team, they're really good broadcasts in California. Yeah. Just, you know, just really, really solid. So I'm, I'm a little spoiled in that regard. But yeah, Gary, Keith and Ron, very good broadcast booth. That's not about the Yankees at all, but still no. a very, well, a very good booth. Well, shifting back to the Yankees pitching, let's talk about tonight's starter, Jameson Tyon, who got off to the hot start and then has just fallen off a cliff. It's like the reverse of last year where he started the season, he was falling off the cliff. Then he's just sort of found his footing and rose, uh, rose back up to the top. I, I, from my perspective, he just sort of abandoned the sinker. I don't know why he's doing that, but... Uh, Alec, have you seen anything with Tyone that I might have missed? Admittedly, I have not. Um, ah, Max, over to you. <laughs> so the thing about Tyone that was – he was always – listen, he had like a 2.2 ERA. And listen, anybody in the world could have told you that that was not going to last. Uh, yeah, yeah, like I, I wasn't expecting that. Like, of but course not. The, the, the issue is – so he had about a 19% strikeout rate and a 2% walk rate. Now – that's not going to last either. Obviously, he was going to strike more guys out, which he has been doing. Inherently, a good thing. A good thing to always strike more guys out. The less people yeah. put the ball in play, the better. That's always good. Right. The problem is that will generally come with a few more walks, which, again, fine. If it's at a trade-off of where you're still getting more strikeouts to walks, 
whatever. That's okay. You can live with the more walks. And he's still only walking like 4% of hitters. Like it's still very, a very good rate. The problem is he is giving up home runs at an unreal rate. Him and Garrett Cole, this is what's burning them is they're just giving up too many home runs. With Tyone, with Cole, it's just, okay, it's just bad hitters counts. With Tyone, he'll be in pitchers counts and giving them up. And now that's partially because he just wasn't giving them up early in the year. And again, as we've talked about, just regression always comes. You are yeah. never above the game of baseball. It always finds a way to bring you back to whatever the median is. So this was always expected. The problem is this has been going on for about two months now. And there's been just, he's tried different pitch mixes. He's tried, uh, you know, a, throwing curveballs more. He's tried throwing less sinkers, more sinkers in some starts more cutters, more change-ups. He's just, he's trying anything in the pitch mix. I don't think it's the pitch mix. I just think it's that he's not aggressive. Mm. He's just not, he's mm. not an aggressive pitcher. Mon- Montgomery was the same way. He's not an aggressive pitcher. They know as, a lot. As my, as my dad, rest in peace, used to say like Montgomery and Tyone are pitchers who like to get cute with the zone. Yes, they, they very much are. Yeah. They're relying on you basically swinging at a pitch and putting it in play with weak contact. And what hitters started to do with Tyone and we're starting to do with Montgomery in the last few starts was they just weren't swinging at those pitches that were close anymore. Yeah. They were just were like ever so slightly knowing, oh, that's a pitcher's pitch. Even if it's a strike, I'm willing to take that because I can't do anything with it because they know that eventually they will come over the heart of the plate. And that's when they're going to do their damage with Tyone. They're hitting the ball over the fence. With Montgomery, they were more just hitting a lot of line drive singles and bloops and stuff like that. Now, that's partially because Montgomery's sinker is hard to hit. It is an inherently good pitch, whereas Tyone doesn't really have like a plus-plus pitch. Mm-hmm. His fastball is solid. It's not great. His sinker is, again, solid, not great. His curveball is good, but he doesn't have enough command of it to be able to flip it over for a strike and flip it over for a whiff consistently enough. His slider is fine. That's the problem is he doesn't have one pitch where it's like, oh, that's a great pitch. Throw that more. Yeah. Yeah. Tyona, he's never quite had an out pitch. Now that you mentioned it. He's he's never, that's been his problem the whole time as Yankee. He just doesn't have one pitch where it's like, all right, in two strikes, 75% of the time, you know, this is coming. Yeah. He, his pitches and the success of his pitches play off of one another. Um, A buddy of mine who, who I worked with, he's, he's a pitching coach. He pitched in college. Um, actually managed to get a few private tryouts with like the Phillies and whatnot. He texted me about a month ago during one of Tyone's starts. And he said to him, it looked like his arm was getting a little bit long again. So I wonder, I see that. so I, yeah, I wonder if that, I haven't looked closely enough to see it, but um, I, yeah, I wonder if like, especially if it's command issues and, and, and whatnot, you know, the, the walk rate may be increasing a little bit. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, the if good that news is, Go ahead, Max. I'll just say, if that is the case, then you know Matt Blake is trying to fix it. I, yeah. I, I have access to, say, to that yeah. information. I, I, I to also wanted Matt, to ask yeah. this earlier. Like, is this Matt Blake's first kind of real big test? Yeah. test? Yeah. I'd say it is. He's he The pitching – and I was looking at the numbers. It's the starters that are really, uh, like, letting them down in the grand scheme of things. It's just the bullpen is just – when they get leads, they aren't holding them. But for the most yeah. part, they're performing when they need to. It's just they're not cold holding leads, which is 
again, just kind of random, right? We were talking about the variance with Garrett Cole. I'm not concerned about that in the long run, like holding leads and everything like that. Holmes has just fallen off, right? I, it is what it is. That, that'll that sort itself out. With Chapman being good again, that'll yeah. sort itself out. And also, in fairness to the bullpen, uh, Holmes started uh, kind of teetering, as you were saying, Max. And what happens at the same time? Michael King goes down. Miguel Castro goes down. Jonathan Loazic is still working his way back from injury. There's no real – There's the bridge to Holmes is suddenly a lot more rickety. Like Indiana You're Jones relying on Wandy Peralta pretty much every single day. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I like Wandy. I think he's so much fun. Yeah. I think he and also a, not only is he a good pitcher, he is super competitive. And if you ask me right now who I want the ball to give the ball to in the biggest spot in the biggest moments, right now I'm saying Wandy because I have full confidence that he will go out there and compete because he's just an absolute lunatic and it's awesome. He's also apparently a big lunatic in the locker room because I remember when Aaron Hicks was put, was on R2C2 during spring training, he was talking about going down to the Dominican and playing winter ball and he um. He, he got to face Wandy, right? He faced yeah, Wandy down he, there. Yeah. He faced Wandy down there and struck out. And then he, he was all like moody on the pod saying, like, oh man, I, I was going up to hit against Wandy. He struck me out in the Dominican Winter League. I wanted to hurt his feelings, take him long. And then he wound up hurting my feelings, striking me out again. <laughs> and apparently Wandy was just like laughing at him the whole time and just joking yes. around. <laughs> so again, that part of the with the bullpen is not really all that concerning i think i again i'll use this word a lot but it's variance right it's just yeah. variance and it's variance in their favor that was working early is variance not working in their favor now but it'll it'll sort itself out because the bullpen by the numbers is still doing well it's just a few things just aren't going away as i said make yeah. nine or ten better pitches they're 16 and nine versus nine and 16 and the yeah. bullpen is part of that not to mention it's August. It's been a very long, hot summer. Like some pitchers are probably miserable out on that field with the humidity sometimes. And that that's not just the Yankees. That's league wide. Yeah, it's, it's bad yeah. this year. Yeah. It, climate change. Uh, but <laughs> uh, sticking, stick, sticking with the Yankees, Max, um, you had, uh, you had uh, some opinions about this. First things first, why did the Yankees trade Jordan Montgomery? So, you know, obviously I'm a big Monty guy. Yeah, that, you know, he I really liked him. And when he was a rookie, I said, I think this guy can be very good. And to his to the Yankees credit, they clearly were right. He's been very good. His, his basically his entire career. He is a mid rotation starter who is good for 150 to 180 innings and give you a mid three RA and compete. He, he his generally speaking, in most of yeah. his starts, he's going to go out there and keep you in the game in some capacity. But the Yankees felt that if their playoff if their playoff started today, he would not be in their playoff rotation and probably not take up a spot in their bullpen, which maybe that's true. You know, that, that might be true. That's an opinion based, you know, that's a decision that they have to make. And it's based out of opinion of how they feel about their guys. But if that's their opinion, I can't really argue with it. I would say that's valid. I disagree because I like Montgomery and I think he's maybe better than they're giving him credit for. But I could understand that viewpoint in the sense of if Severino is healthy, Monty probably is not in their playoff rotation. Right. Because Cole, Montas, Sevi, and Nestor, with a potential Schmidt backing Nestor or Schmidt backing Sevi, yeah, that's probably better. That That's just true. Like, that's objectively better in my head. So they traded him because they said, we need a center fielder badly. And they're right. They do. Hicks is just not a center fielder anymore. 
He's still got a good arm. And when he goes out and plays left field, he plays great defense in left field. He's a great defensive left fielder. And he'd probably be a great defensive right fielder too. So he's a great corner outfielder. He's and again, when he's able playing, to play all three positions. Yeah. When he plays the cor- when he plays the corner outfielder, he generally speaking hits pretty well there too. Like he again, when he was playing left field, he was overall playing really well for a few weeks there. After he got over that slump that was the month of May and came yeah. out of it, for basically a month and a half, Aaron Hicks was a pretty good baseball player. Problem is, he's now yeah. gone back into a slump. Uh, yeah. Well, it, he might have come out of it on Sunday. So they said, we need a center fielder because Judge is fine in center field. And by most metrics, he was fine. He was about an average defensive center fielder. And when you hit like Aaron Judge, that's a very valuable baseball player. But their plan is to give that man a lot of money in the offseason. And most, again, I am 95% confident he goes back, like super confident. And he's going to play right field for a long time because he's a good athlete. He has a great arm and he moves around well. And even if he loses a step of speed or anything, he'll still be a pretty good defensive right fielder. And he's they're better when he's in right field because their replacement for him is Matt Carpenter in right field, who is not a very good defensive outfielder. No No offense to Carpenter. It's painful. It's just painful. Or it's Stanton, who is, for the most part, again, about average. He's just just average, which, again, your best version of yourself is judge in right field. So they acquire Harrison Bader, and people are like, well, he's hurt. Yeah, but when he's healthy, there's probably nobody better in center field than him. He is amazing. I mean, legitimately one of the best defensive outfielders I've seen in the sport. In my life, him, Kevin Kiermeyer, like they're just studs. I'm, I'm biased because my, because my little brother and, and Harrison Bader are friends, but like yeah, he's from I, New York too. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Horace Mann, great, uh, great school. Um, but also, I took a look at his Savant page the other day. He's got a career outs above average of plus fifty four across the entire outfield. I'm like, okay, that's really good. Let's go to Mike Trout, like Mr. Alleged uh, Best Player in Baseball. Minus one for his career. Mike Trout has never been a good defensive center fielder. I've been saying this for years. He's at best defensively. He was his first few years, but the last few, he's basically just been fine. Again, fine. But again, when you hit like he can, that's a very valuable player. (laughs) So that's why you stick him out there is he's, he's not hurting you in center field, right? He's not hurting you. Not. So then you're just like, ah, whatever. But yeah, Harrison Bader is unreal in center field. And if he's healthy, he needs to play every day in center field. And then you put Judge in right, and you put Benintendi in left. And listen, I wasn't super keen on the Benintendi uh, trade. I just, with the way Hicks was playing before the trade, I thought Hicks is fine. I think if he's your everyday left fielder, that's fine, right? Like. He's going to be roughly what Andrew Benintendi is in terms of production, just in a different way. Hicks gets on base because he walks a lot and everything like that, and he'll hit the occasional home run, right? Whereas Benintendi is just going to hit a lot of singles and get a lot of walks. That's fine, but they opted for Benintendi, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think he's bad. I just think he's different and roughly the same. So the problem is now that you have Hicks as your fourth outfielder and Stanton as your sort of fifth outfielder, now it's where does Cart play? This is this is the issue that they have run into is if they're fully healthy, one of uh, Stanton, Carp, and Hicks is going to be sitting consistently. The problem is 
when they're all healthy, two of them are going to be sitting consistently if they don't use Harrison Bader, if they use Harrison Bader in center field every day, which they should because yeah. he's that good defensively that it does not really matter what he's putting up with the bat because he'll make up for it with the glove. So they need to figure that out. That's where the trade gets weird. It's not that it's bad because in a vacuum, you trade Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader, I'd say that's even value. And I thought yeah. with all five of Brian Cashman's trades at the deadline, they were even value. And there was potentially, they were seconds away from a sixth. I know this yeah. for a fact because I still, I still have some friends who work in baseball. They were seconds away from a deal with Pablo Lopez mm-hmm. and the Marlins. Literally, wow. it, was, it was on the table being discussed, and then the Marlins' ownership backed out at the, like, the very last minute. Oh, they so were annoying. so confident they were going to get Pablo Lopez. From all sides, they were super confident, working on the paperwork, we were about to submit it, and then Marlins' ownership backed out. They just got cold feet last second? They just... They, uh, from people with more sources than me, they said the Marlins ownership just didn't want to make the trade for Lopez yet. Now, now are you talking also general manage, like general manager or just and, ownership, like Bruce Sherman? Because- just ownership. From what I've been told, Ang was willing to make those moves, and that's why they were on the table. She's Aang a badass, by the way. She's Again, the, what I've been told is that the returns for some of the Marlins had about three or four trades in the last 30 minutes that were on the table and they all fell apart because the ownership didn't want to do them. Which tracks as to why Jeter left. Yes, it, 100%. He, it makes sense. He the contract. Like when you hear that information, when you hear that information, you can't go, really? You go, no, that makes sense. Yeah. You, you, the, re- the response yeah. to it, and from pretty much everyone who reacted, to, you know, Heyman wrote an article about it and everything, and I think Martino did too. The reaction has been, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks that the Marlins ownership would shoot it down. And it's true. They did. They were so brand new owner, same old Marlins. Yes. Same, same old Marlins. So when you factor in the fact that I don't think Cashman made the Montgomery move, no, thinking he'd get Lopez, I think he made the Montgomery move in the sense of, even without Lopez, Monty's still probably not making our playoff rotation. Right. He just thought, I can make this move and it's going to look even okay. It'll look fine in the moment once we get Lopez. I said this last week too. Montgomery and Nestor Cortez are very similar pitchers. The difference is Montgomery's making $6 million this year, has one year of arbitration left. Nestor is a lot cheaper. And from my perspective, unlike Montgomery, when push comes to shove, Nestor has a reliable four-seam fastball. He can spin by hitters without fear. Monty's a little too hesitant to throw that. Well, I think it goes back to what Max had said earlier. It's, it, you know, Montgomery is not aggressive enough, and, no. and Cortez is a bulldog on the mound. Nestor is throwing 95 miles an hour at his peak now. Just think about that for a second. That guy you saw in 2019, that fun, yeah. crafty lefty, can throw 95 now. 95. Yeah. That's incredible, which speaks to. It speaks to him and how yeah. far he worked. And, and again, it speaks to the Yankees pitching development of how much they can improve guys. And so, yeah, yeah Nestor Cortez has a great fastball. He also has a good cutter and a good enough slider and a, a, a few other pitches that are just good enough. Dory has multiple weapons and his adjustment has worked his last few starts. He's made an adjustment. Yeah. The fastball is playing up in the zone better again. And he's not leaving it in you know hittable spots. And obviously, he's pitching very well. He's pitched very he's well. Laboring a little bit, but on the whole, he looks better. 
I thought I thought the Cardinals start was probably the worst he's looked in sense of like he had well, that, some that was I, I had a friend command. at the game. I had a friend at the game. It was ungodly humid in St. Louis all weekend. Yeah, he it, it looked like he was just just not quite right. But every other start I've been like, yeah, he looks good. Oh, yeah. I mean, like in his last seven starts, he's thrown 38 innings and he's got a 308 ERA. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he's but, figured it out. He made yeah. the adjustment again, which goes back to the Yankees will figure it out. Like, yeah, I understand yeah. the frustration right now. I, I've been watching the games and I've been like, man, this is just frustrating because it's little things. It's little things. And that's, yeah. if they're getting blown out, it's like, okay, whatever. They never even had a shot. But, yeah. you know, it, it's they're not getting blown out. They're, the one time they did get blown out was the Garrett Cole start. And they almost found a way to get back into that game. Not to mention, this team has gotten blown out so little compared to years past. And not only that, any Yankees fan will tell you, at some point in late summer, this always happens. I looked this up the other day. The 1996 Yankees were sub-500 in August. Look what happened there. The 2000 Yankees, I think they they, they... they lost like 17 of the last 21 games. Yeah. yeah they, I mean, they ended the year terribly. Yeah. It happens. It, you just go through stretches where just stuff just doesn't work out. And guess what? It's August. So that means they have time to fix it. Yeah. And like, August or October, pick one. The, the best... The best part about it is they're still hitting. Yeah. They're still hitting. Granted, they also have arguably the, in my opinion, the MVP on their team, and he has not stopped. He has gone out. He didn't hit a home run in St. Louis, but, man, he had, like, five hits with several, several big ones. He's still performing. He had four RBIs alone yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. He, like, he's still, he was, he was feet away from a home grand slam. Yeah. But I don't know. By the way, he hit a few balls where I'm like, how did that not go? In the ninth inning of the shutout? Maybe it was so humid that the ball just kind of hung up there. It just, he hit it and I was like, that's gone. Like, I was like, he crushed that thing. And then the center fielder is like two steps in front of the warning track. And I'm like, what? How did that not go? (laughs) So again, he's still hitting the crap out of the ball. Rizzo should be fine. I, there, he has the, he admits, he's like, yeah, every year I miss games because of my back. It's just, it just is what it is. He'll be fine. I'm not concerned. Giancarlo will be back. They, I think they said they hope by the Boston series, that'll be a big lift for them. Um, it looks like Ben Intendi's starting to get it going. He had a pretty good series in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He shortened his swing up a little bit. Yeah. Um, it is not great to keep running out IKF at shortstop. And I know there's a lot of calls about Barraza and everything like that. And what I kind of come back to is I, I do think they should give, ultimately, I think they should give Praza a chance, but I understand the concern of if we call him up and he isn't good and we send him down, that could hurt his development in the long run. And that's probably true because yeah. prospects are super, super fickle. And I don't say the Yankees are prospect hugging or anything like that. From what I've been told, they're very willing to deal Praza for some big names. So Clearly, it's not that they're they were overvaluing him or, or anything like that. I think you know it's what? just he's there. Yeah, I I wonder because you said you said that the um, that the Marlins uh, that the Marlins were like this close to kind of trading Pablo Lopez to the Yankees. I wonder if in the off season you see Peraza, maybe Torres, maybe Hicks in a sort of Josh Donaldson situation just to kind of follow the money off. If you revisit that trade and somehow pull it off, maybe loop in a third team because of if Cashman wants a guy, he usually finds a way. And he, obviously they got Frankie Montas and, yeah. you know, there was they, in spring training, they were close. 
Uh, and before the lockout, they were close to a deal with Frankie Montas. What do you think of Frankie Montas, Max? I, in my opinion, best pitcher traded at the deadline. I know, he, you know people are like, wow, could you watch him pitch yesterday? Yeah, okay. He did not pitch great yesterday. Uh, yeah, but if you yeah. watch the stuff yesterday, it's clear. Like he still, he had good stuff yesterday. He yeah, just, yeah. he got, he got, listen, he got gypped on a three, two call. That was a strike. If that, he gets that call, he gives up one or no runs in that inning. And not even just that he hadn't pitched in 10 days. He was coming off the bereavement list. Like so many. Yeah. His, his, yeah his, his mother-in-law, his mother-in-law passed away. You know, they're, they're, you know, you don't know what he's going through off the field. And I give Montas credit. He, after the game, he's like, yeah, I sucked today. That's yeah. my bad. Like yeah. I'm not going to hide from it. I, I was bad today. And guys coming over from a place like Oakland, no offense to Oakland. I, I grew up in Northern California, but not quite the media presence of New York. Um, yeah. So, you know, to him to come over and handle that is fine. But in my opinion, he's the best pitcher that was traded at the deadline. I know people will say, well, what about Luis Castillo? Montas by Stuff Plus from Enosaurus and uh, Pitching Bot uh, has better stuff than Luis Castillo does. Yeah, and he has better numbers than he does. Yeah, because people don't realize, like, the six-run inning kind of clouded this, but the Yankees last time they faced Castillo went with the Mariners, they were making him work at some points. When he was with the Mariners, it started again, both his starts, it's not like Castillo was dominating him, them. He was having to work in those starts. They didn't score too much in the first start with the Reds, but they, they were, in the Mariners' start, he was having to work. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was just mowing them down. It was just, uh, all right, some things are going his way that, you know normally wouldn't or on an on a, any given day could or couldn't go in your way favor but in my opinion yeah montas is the best pitcher traded at the deadline i know that there were some rumors of carlos Rodon getting traded the yankees had some interest but it, nothing really got off the ground they're pretty much after castillo got traded was let's try and trade for montas and let's try and trade for lopez and that was it that was their game plan um, they were obviously Smart. successful in Montas. And yeah, Cashman Cashman has a very clear vision in mind when it comes to pitchers. Controllable contracts. Yeah. He likes pitchers that have controllable contracts. He doesn't like trading for rentals. He traded for Ben Intendi purely because I guess they just felt like he was an upgrade over Hicks in the short run. And they're also shopping Hicks. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but his history with pitchers tells you He's trading for controllable contracts. And so he has this year of Montas and next year. The other reason to trade Montgomery is that he would have then had Montas, Sevi, and Montgomery be free agents all at the same time. This way you avoid that. Now you only have Montas yeah. and Sevi. Yeah, and now you, you can you re-sign re- both of them. You just reminded that. Uh, well, Sevi, I think, has an option. for, And they'll take season. it. Oh, yeah. They'll pick, They'd be they'll, foolish they'll not pick to. it up. Yeah. yeah, they'll pick it up. And so now you have Montas and Sevi who will be free agents at the same time. And again, there's about, I think, I think it's like $56 million coming off the books this year. Yeah. Chapman's gone. They're not bringing him back. They're not, no. bringing, they're not bringing Britain back either. They like Britain. I know that, the, you know, he's very popular in the clubhouse. He is their player rep and everything like that. But they're just not going to do that. With the way that they have been able to produce arms, it's just not, they're not going to do it, right? I mean, Ron Marinasio came out of nowhere for a lot of people this year, and he's yeah. been great. They got they traded Albert Abreu for Jose Trevino and then brought him back and he's been spectacular. <laughs> and Lucas Litke is still solid, right? He might get traded though. There were some rumors that he was going to get traded to try and free up some space. But yeah, yeah, they still have him. I think they feel like they can still figure it out with Loizaga. Holmes is still there, and obviously Scott Efros is about to become very popular. 
Yeah, and Scott Efros is really good. And Trevino is really good too. Their bullpen is filled with dudes who are yeah. very good. So the thought process on paying Chapman and Britain is to not pay them, and they'll yeah. they'll be gone next year. Chapman had the balls to say he wanted a new contract at the start of spring training. Yeah, he's like, no, he's like, I, I'd like to stay here. No, no, it's not going to happen. Um, no. They might, if listen, if they bring him back, it'll be for less than five million dollars. And at that point, fine, whatever. It's less than five million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to Who's going to care? Um, Tyone's gone. Yeah. Listen, I, I got nothing but respect for the guy. I think he's been through so much and he's earned whatever contract he's going to get. Just the Yankees are not the ones that are going to give it to him. And that's fine. Now, granted, they traded a lot of the guys that they felt would replace him. But if they roll out there next year with Cole, Montas, Seve, and Nestor, I don't Clark think it really Schmidt. matters. Yeah, it's like I hear Clark Schmidt's music. I, I'm so excited to give, give Clark Schmidt a chance. Because yeah. I have been so high on him for years. For years, I said, for I for years I said Luis Medina was the best pitcher in the Yankees system because pure stuff wise, the guy throws 101 as a starter with the curveball that moves like crazy. Problem mm. is, he doesn't know where it's going. He was also yeah. going to be he was going to be Rule Five selected potentially. So they traded him, and that makes sense. Well, so now one, one of my good friends is an Oakland fan. I said to him about Luis Medina in a couple of years, he's going to be one of your high leverage bullpen arms. He's going to be one of the best closers in baseball in a few years. Yeah. Like, he, he is that kind of stuff. If he can just limit the walks to like a 9% rate, which is still high, but if he can <laughs> do that, he's going to strike out 35% of hitters. Like he's yeah. that good. He, he is really, really good. Trading Ken Wallachuk, sure, hurts, but you got Frankie Montas. I, yeah. I don't think anybody would say it's not worth it. Well, the West Yankee, also has his issues with walks. Yeah. Wallachuk has, has a walk problem. So again, the Yankees develop arms. Next year, you're going to be like, where the heck did this guy come from? By the way, Stephen Ridings is still hurt. He's going to be back at some oh point. That dude's I, nasty. I yeah. Stephen Ridings. So they, they produce arms like it's nothing. So back, what was all about this, like, why do they trade Jordan Montgomery? It's because the Yankees are a pitching farm now. They hired Sam Breen. They hired Sam Breen from driveline, and he has turned them into an absolute pitching farm. And I have the utmost respect for that. Because before that, the Yankees were not known for developing pitchers. No. They were really good at finding them. Really, really good at finding pitchers and finding talent. They were really good at that. But they could never make them better. They just, they just didn't really know how to like make the adjustment. And so when people are always like, oh, Cashman should have traded for Garrett Cole right away, I'm glad that he didn't. Because he needed Houston to turn into the Garrett Cole that he is today. Because yeah. the Yankees were not going to get that out of him. Yeah. They just weren't. They, weren't. they weren't ready for that. But Sonny Gray and seeing what Garrett Cole became in Houston motivated Brian Cashman to become what they are today. He said, we can't be second fiddle to anybody anymore when it comes to developing pitchers. And now they generally speaking, aren't the Dodgers, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Astros. Those are the four best at developing pitchers today and Cleveland as well. Cleveland's in, in there as well. So those five teams are the best at developing pitchers and it, it's so worth it to trade pitchers now. It's so it's because you're going to develop another one out of nowhere. They make all of their pitching prospects better, all of them. And so what I think people also don't understand is that the trades are going to age even better because when prospect pitching prospects go to other teams, they'll see a drop off if they're not as good as the system that they just came from. If they're lacking in some sort of data or technique or something, 
they're going to be not as good. And I think the Montgomery trade, while it looks strange, is going to look fine. And then the other trades are going to age really, really well because of those things. I think you're absolutely right. I think that Brian Cashman, as much as we knock the guy for his approach sometimes, like he always shows he's kind of a step ahead of everybody else. He's had this job for coming up on 25 years for a reason. He's absolutely going to get a new contract at the end of this year. There hasn't been a move he's made from the offseason to the deadline where I was like, that's outright wrong. Right. Yeah, and, and you can't really hold like the middle years against him because that's that was when George was kind of throwing his weight around the front office and signing everybody and their mother to all. The yeah, money. but just just talk about from when the 2021 20, season ended. I know people are like, well, what about the IKF trade? Well, that IKF trade led to Jose Trevino, and I get it. Like, how will you, could you know that Josh Donaldson would fall off the face of the planet? Well, the, well, that's the thing. It, with the on bat paper on paper, the trades made sense. Yeah. You got a high yeah. contact shortstop who wasn't going to give you a lot of power, but could steal bases and was going to hit maybe 270, 280. But then, yeah, he, he hasn't really panned out to what we've wanted. It's also been the Yankees have been telegraphing like for years. Anthony Volpe is our guy. Anthony Volpe, that is our shortstop of the future. IKF is a transit, he's a transitional shortstop. He's there to keep the seat warm for the next year, year and a half until it's so, either Volpe or Peraza or whoever the Yankees decide their guy at shortstop is. It, they they do that because Hal didn't want to pay one of the big shortstops. And I mean, I, I can't blame him. <laughs> they, I, I, I blame him for not wanting to pay Carlos Correa because Carlos Correa is very good. Carlos now, he's hitting 256 this year. But he's also a gold glove defender at shortstop with a well above average power bat for a shortstop. He hits 256. Who cares? Because he's going to hit 25 bombs Next, and play gold glove one of defense. His ribs getting a massage. Yeah, he's he's listen, he's not the most like healthy player, but I will hold it against him for not wanting to pay the money to Carlos Correa. Everybody else, fine, whatever. But Correa, given the contract he got, I get why people are frustrated because I would be frustrated with that. But if Volpe is, and so I've been told, the only person they were willing to even discuss Volpe for was Soto. But the yeah. Yankees basically just said, How do you feel about you know a package, you know, some of these guys in our system? And the Nationals basically said, mm, I don't really think it's going to line up. And that was pretty much the extent of their conversation. Okay. It was basically, it's basically, we're willing to include anybody. You know, how do you feel about these names and everything like that? And they listed off some names and Nationals just said, nah, we're good. Whatever. Much, that, like how, they're, much how they offered Jason Dominguez to the Reds for Castillo and the Reds were like, nah, no thanks. Yeah. It, the, the, it the happens Reds, sometimes. Yeah. The, the Reds got Novelli Marte in return which yeah. is the equivalent of trading Anthony Volpe for Luis Castillo. And tell, I personally... Tell us about Marte, because like he's not known by uh, the, the casual fan. He's very good. Just <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. Kids, he's, you know, in, you know, A-ball right now. Yeah. He has plus power, plus defense, plus speed. A uh, little bit of a whiff problem, but, I mean, what good prospect that is at this level doesn't have a whiff problem anymore. Yeah, so like I, has a whiff problem. Yeah. Like guys just swing and miss. Now you just hope that you can limit it a little bit, but he's very good. Again, that would have been uh, the equivalent of trading Anthony Volpe for the Yankees. So that was just never going to happen. And nor should it. The Mariners made that move because they're desperate to make the playoffs. Fine. Good for them. That's awesome. They're going for it. That's good for baseball. 
the Yankees don't have to do that. Like they just, they just didn't have to do that. Castillo is not that much of a difference maker to be trading the top prospect in your system. Who is also a borderline top five prospect in baseball. Like it's just, it's just not worth doing that for the Yankees. It is for the Mariners because they're desperate to get back to the postseason for the first time in 21 years. It's worth it for them. And not a single fan is going to complain about it when they make the playoffs this year. So it's really fascinating just how much baseball has changed since like the core four era of the Yankees dynasty as my cat makes an appearance with the, the tail on the microphone. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, I mean, analytics right now and most of not all teams embrace them. It means that no, you're not going to have those dynasties anymore. The goal into a season, they say, Oh, our goal is to win a world series. Okay, great. Your goal is really to make the playoffs and hope you catch fire at the right time to win the world series. The goal is to maximize your chances. Yes. And how do you maximize your chances? You build the best roster you can and you hope you get hot at the right time. Yeah. Playoffs last year, I told everybody I knew, I said, anybody can win in this postseason, except for one team. I said, Any, anybody can win. I, could, I wouldn't be shocked if the Brewers won. I wouldn't be shocked if the Red Sox won. wouldn't be shocked if uh, the Astros won. But I would be genuinely surprised if Atlanta won. That was <laughs> the one team I thought had zero chance. And baseball and its utter chaos and knows no other way had the Braves winning the World Series. And if it's you don't random. believe us, if you don't believe us, just look at the Marlins having two World Series rings. And it's, then it's, and then doing absolute dick with the talent afterward. It's utterly random when it comes to winning in the postseason. The only thing that proves to be consistent year over year, and I feel like this is a really good ending point to wrap all my points up is hit the ball over the fence and make sure you don't let the hitters on the other team do the same thing. <laughs> and if you, you don't give up home runs and you hit home runs, I promise you, you will win in the postseason. All this to say the Yankees pitching has not been terrible, but they're giving up way too many, too home, many runs. home runs. Yes. Way too many home runs and they'll be right. fine. They will be. Yeah. Max, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're always a phenomenal guest. We're definitely going to have you back on again at some point. Uh, you got anything you want to plug in the meantime? No, I mean, uh, I, all I want to say is, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, I would like to tell Yankee fans that it'll be okay. Uh, hopefully they win today. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> they've historically had a lot of success in Seattle. Um, yeah. And so hopefully things are, you know, I think things will turn around soon. Stanton's coming back. Rizzo will be back soon. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when Seve comes back and hopefully Clark, gets called up I, I think they'll be fine I, I genuinely think this team is still in my opinion the best in the AL one of the best in baseball so I expect them to be in the ALCS competing for a World Series this year it is going to be a great series uh, we are going to get off here I'm going to pound a cup of coffee because I know I'm going to probably be up late uh, watching this game all right well thanks for listening folks Max thanks again for coming on and uh, yeah we will see you next time